Amen. Praise the Lord. We'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. We'll start there tonight. I've got something that's uh, stirring around on the inside of me that uh, the more I study, the more I meditate on, the more I teach, the more I see. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, then he called his 12 disciples. This is talking about Jesus and the 12. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And from that time forward, lightning shot out of their fingertips and healed everybody that they saw. Now, of course, the Bible doesn't say that, but somehow or another, we kind of think that there was something closely associated with that or something similar to that that occurred let me ask you a question what did it feel like when he gave him power and authority over to, to cast out devils and to heal sickness and disease what did it feel like I'm, I'm going to submit something to you I don't think it felt like anything Because if, it was, if there was a feeling attached to it, why in the world would the disciples argue with each other about who was going to be the greatest? If there was a differing measure of power and authority over the devil and to cast out, uh, to cast out the uh, devils and to heal sickness and disease, then why on occasion are they arguing about who's the greatest? Why don't they just measure who has the most results? The implication is they got the same results. And so, therefore, they would have to judge their criteria for being great in the kingdom of God, at least in their own eyes, by some different means or measure. Again, in verse 1, it says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, Neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house you enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust of your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now notice in verse 2 it tells them what Jesus told them to preach. He told them to preach the gospel of the kingdom. We've been teaching and talking about that for a long time on uh, Sunday mornings. I believe Jesus identified what the kingdom was. This can't just mean a generic term, tell people things about God, because these guys don't know anything about God. And Jesus would not send them out with power and authority over devils and sickness and disease without some specific definite message that he wanted them to preach and folks i can't get away from this the message they preach got results may i be so bold as to suggest uh, something further if we're not getting the same results then we're not preaching it as an effective message as they did Jesus had no question, had no doubt that the message he gave them to preach would produce the same results that he himself was getting in setting people free from the power of the devil and healing sickness and disease. But as I said, this cannot be just a generic term meaning things about God. 
It's got to be something specific. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 when he taught his disciples to pray, verse 10, he said, well, it's uh, what's called the Lord's Prayer. You know it as well as I do. He starts off, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Immediately following, talking about God being holy and our heavenly Father, he said, thy kingdom come. It hadn't come at that point. It has under the new birth or through the new birth for us. He said, thy kingdom come. What is the kingdom of God? The next thing he says is, thy will be done in earth, even as it is in heaven. Folks, that's always been God's plan, is for his will to be done here on the earth, just like it is in heaven. It was that way before sin entered the scene in the Garden of Eden. Things were in earth just like they were in heaven. Jesus came back to restore the kingdom, not the physical kingdom. That won't happen until the end of Revelation, when the new Jerusalem comes down and God makes a new heaven and a new earth. But even there, God's end game, his final plan is for his kingdom to be restored and set up here once again on the earth so that his will is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. I believe that's the message Jesus sent him out to preach. God wants things for you in the earth just like they are in heaven. And he didn't just preach it with words. He gave them power and authority to show and demonstrate. And they got results. They got results. Now, I don't mean to take anything away from Jesus. But it has to be true that Jesus did not send them out to tell people that he was the Christ, the Messiah, come to the earth. If he had told them that, then why in the world would he have asked them in Matthew 16, who do you say I am? Why wouldn't they have responded, well, you're the Christ, just like you've been telling us to preach to everybody? Must be true because every time we preach that you're the Christ, come to the earth, then we get people healed and we see devils cast out. But that wasn't their answer. Their answer is, thou art the Christ. But Jesus says, Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. In other words, it wasn't some sign that convinced you. A lot of people saw the signs and didn't believe. But my Father, which is in heaven. So again, let me read these verses again. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God And to heal the sick. To preach that it's the will of God for things to be in your life here on the earth. Just like it is in heaven. That thrills me every time I say it. The more I say it the more convinced I am that that is the definition. Jesus definition of the kingdom of God. Had somebody come up to me recently and say well yeah but pastor mike bible says in romans fourteen seventeen that the kingdom of god is righteousness peace and joy in the holy ghost well aren't those all the result of the will of god being done in the earth in your life just like it is in heaven what will things be like for you in heaven righteousness peace and joy in the holy ghost i don't see a discrepancy between those scriptures I see righteousness, peace in the Holy Ghost, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost being the result of the will of God being done in the earth, just like it is in heaven. So Jesus told them, 
He gave them instruction. Travel light and trust God. And they went and preached everywhere and healed the sick. Now let's stay in Luke chapter 9. There's other scriptures, other chapters we could go to, but let's follow along in Luke chapter 9. It tells us about something else that happened. Let's start reading in verse 28. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there appeared with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Moses and Elijah have been dead for hundreds of years. So when they appear talking to Jesus, I believe the reason that they did appear and uh, and Jesus spoke with them is because the Bible says in, in Amos that God does nothing without first showing his prophets. And these are the two foremost prophets in Jewish history. We know that they're in Abraham's bosom. That would be the only place they could be before Jesus went to the cross and opened the gates of heaven. Before man could be born again and redeemed. We know also in Ephesians chapter 4 that after Jesus' death and resurrection, well, before he's raised again, after he's quickened and made alive in spirit in the depths of hell and the price has been paid for sin, it says he led captivity captive, which must mean that he stopped by Abraham's bosom and says, I'm the one, guys, that Moses and Elijah told you about. Moses and Elijah must have gone back to Abraham's bosom and said the time is short. The Messiah is working on the earth. Jesus stops by on the way back to the earth to get his body and says, I'm the guy who wants to go with me. He empties Abraham's bosom, stops by the earth on the way to heaven to pick up his body. He meets Mary and says, don't touch me because I haven't yet ascended to my father goes to heaven, presents his blood in the heavenly holy of holies, then comes back to the earth and talks to the disciples. I say those things a lot slower than I used to because I want you to realize that's not some fairy tale. That really happened. There was a real day that Jesus died on the cross. There was a real moment in time where the life of God came back upon him in the pit of hell And God said, that's it, the price is paid. And Jesus was quickened in spirit, made alive in spirit. The firstborn of many brethren, the Bible says. Well, you can't be born of spiritual death unless you were spiritually dead, can you? There was a moment in time when he was resurrected. Glory to God. So Moses and Elijah appear. I'll get sidetracked here and by getting happy if I don't stop. Moses and Elijah appeared, who appeared in glory, and spake of his decease, or his death, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now I want you to notice Moses and Elijah believe what Jesus is telling them about going to the cross. The disciples had a hard time with it and didn't believe it even after the fact. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, 
it is good for us to be here and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. It's best not to say too much when you first wake up, I think. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. That must have been the same cloud that filled the temple when Solomon dedicated it back in the Old Testament. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close and told no man in those days any of these things which they had seen. They did tell them later, but not at that time. And it came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo, a spirit takes him, and he suddenly cries out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly, departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. I want you to notice that verse, verse 40. I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. Now, verse 1 says that Jesus gave him power and authority over evil spirits to cast out devils and to heal all manner of sickness and disease. So why couldn't they? Maybe a better question to start with is how do, they know they, how do we know they couldn't? The only way we would know they couldn't is if they tried and failed. Right? This looks like any other case to them. So they use the power and authority that they've been given over evil spirits. But it doesn't work. I believe this is the number one reason why people don't lay hands on the sick. They're afraid it won't work. Now back to the first couple of verses of the chapter. Realize that the Bible says after Jesus gave them power and authority and commanded them to preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal the sick. It says they went preaching everywhere and healing the sick. Now let me ask you a question. Jesus is in physical form at that point in time on the earth, right? The 12 disciples are unsaved men, spiritually dead men. They don't have the spirit of God within them. They have no spiritual perceptiveness to them to speak of. I believe it was spiritual perception that Peter exhibited in Matthew 16 when he said that Jesus was the Christ. I believe that's why Jesus said his father in heaven had revealed it to him rather than flesh and blood. But you know how spiritually perceptive dead people are. Spiritually dead people are. Unsaved people. Not very. They don't have much spiritually going on for them. So let me ask this. Who is with them to ensure that what they command the evil spirits to do is done. Who is with them to ensure that the healing that they try to minister to people works? Can't be Jesus. He's off in another town doing his own thing. Well, the only possibility is the Holy Ghost. But he's not in them. Couldn't be in them. So the best that we can come up with is that the Holy Ghost went with them. 
to bring to pass that which Jesus authorized, equipped, and commanded them to do. Is that not true? It would have to be, would it not? Well, now they're in a situation where it doesn't work. Was the Holy Ghost not with them? Verse 41, Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring, him, bring thy son hither. And, he was, and as he was yet coming, the devil threw him down and tore him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. Now both Matthew and Mark give us an account of this incident. Mark's account says that afterward Jesus healed the boy and gave him back to his father. They came to him later. The disciples came to him later. The ten, Peter, uh, well the nine I guess. Peter, James and John were with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. So they weren't there to fail like the others. But it says that the others came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast him out? They want to know why it didn't work. That says to me that they're used to this stuff working. If they weren't, they would have come and said, you know, this stuff never works for us. But they said, why didn't this work this time? Mark's account says that Jesus said that this kind goeth forth not but but by prayer and fasting. Matthew 17, it says, Jesus answered because of your unbelief. Because if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you should say to this sycamine tree, be uprooted and cast into the sea and it should obey you. How be it, this kind goeth forth not, but by prayer and fasting. Now, what does prayer and fasting do? To give you more power? We have no evidence of that. There's no scriptural evidence that prayer and fasting increases your spiritual power. What does prayer and fasting do? It increases your spiritual perceptiveness. Makes you more aware of spiritual things than you are of natural things. Now I know that people could take these verses of scripture, particularly where Jesus talked about the prayer and fasting part. And most of the modern day church, at least the churches that I had anything to do with growing up, denominational churches, they used that as an excuse why we didn't have exor- uh, why we couldn't exercise authority over the devil. Because no matter what you did, you couldn't pray enough, couldn't fast enough. So therefore, we must just be subject to the devil in a different manner than, than they were. They had authority over him, but we don't. But folks, I would submit something to you. I used to think that the prayer and fasting had something to do with increasing spiritual power. But that's unscriptural. Took me a while to see it. Why did they need to pray and fast? Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't say to the Father, you know, I can see this is a special case. Come back at the end of the week when I've had time to pray and fast. What was the difference in Jesus and the disciples? Well, the obvious difference was Jesus was spiritually perceptive. He understood what the problem was. And they didn't. They, meaning the disciples, didn't. Mark's account brings it out, I think, a little bit better than the others. He answered the Father and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I suffer you? He realizes that the problem is the faith, the unbelief, rather, the lack of faith, 
on the part of the Father. The disciples weren't perceptive enough to see that or recognize that. I believe being born again solves the prayer and fasting problem, at least as related in this, this account in Mark 9 and Luke 9. See, we've got the Holy Ghost within us now. He's the teacher. He's the guide. Had they had the Holy Ghost in them and walking in fellowship with the Lord, they would have known what Jesus knew. The problem was unbelief on the part of the Father. Mark 9 even goes further and talks about how Jesus overcame the unbelief of the Father. The Father went on to say to Jesus, the disciples couldn't do anything, but if you can do anything, if you've got the power to do anything, have mercy on me and help me. Jesus turns it around and says, it's not a matter of what I can do. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believes. The Father responded by saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, which doesn't sound like a great deal of faith to me. But it was sufficient. It was a seed that was sufficient for Jesus to exercise authority over the devil and cast him out of the boy. Now, here's a question. If these disciples have been given power and authority over their sickness and disease and over all the devil, all the work of the devil, how did they not know that it wouldn't work? Couldn't be a matter of feeling. Because if unbelief hindered the power from working to cast the devil out and to free this little boy, would they not have known that they didn't feel the same power that they did on occasions where it did work? Would the nine that were left, somebody in the group at least, not have said something to the effect of, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. We can't pray yet. We can't minister the healing power of God to you. We can't cast the devil out of this little boy because something's wrong. I don't feel the power. But nothing like that occurs. They attempt to use the authority and the power behind it. In this case, just like in every other case that they encountered. They're not aware of any difference in the cases until after when they see they didn't get results. And that caused them to raise a question. That says to me that it couldn't have been a feeling. Well, if it's not a feeling, what is it? It's the commission. It's the authorization. And the equipping or the power to perform what they're authorized to do and commanded to do even. It's not something you feel. It just is. Now let me prove it to you. Let's go a little bit further into the chapter. Verse 49. Skip down with me to verse 49. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name. And we forbade him because he followed not with us. In other words, John is saying, we found somebody that's casting out devils in your name. He didn't say trying to use your name. He said casting out devils in your name. That means effectively, successfully. We found somebody using your name to exercise authority over the devil to set people free. And we told him he can't do that because he's not one of us. He wasn't in our group when you authorized us and equipped us and commissioned us to cast out devils and to heal the sick. 
So we told him not to do that. Now, we can talk about that a little bit, but the real question is, how is this guy able to do it on his own to begin with? Well, the answer is simple. Remember, Jesus said to the uh, 70 in Luke chapter 10, to whatever city they receive you, go and preach the kingdom of God. To whatever city they receive you, heal the sick that are therein and say, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. It's near. The very fact that the kingdom of God, meaning the born-again experience where man could be made a new creation in Christ Jesus, the, the closeness or the proximity to the time when that would be available for mankind was sufficient for the name of Jesus to be used by anybody to cast out devils and to heal the sick. That has to be true true, or else this guy that John was talking about wouldn't have gotten any results. Right? But he was getting results. Jesus said, don't forbid anybody from using my name. Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Notice he said the one that's for me is the one that uses my name. The one that's for me is the one that uses the power and the authority of the kingdom of God in my name to set people free and to heal them of sickness and disease. Now, what do, to what degree was this man, the man that John's talking about, that he forbade, to use the name of Jesus. To what degree was this man authorized? To what degree was he equipped? To what degree was he commissioned? Well, you can't say he was commissioned at all. We have to accept that he was equipped because he got results. What about being authorized? Jesus hadn't given him authority. But somehow... This guy realized that the authority was in the name of Jesus. And he took upon himself to use the name and got exactly the same results that the 12 got. Because of the closeness of the kingdom of God. Is this making any sense? I want you to turn to two openings of scripture. One is Matthew 28 and the other is Mark 16. Matthew 28 and Mark 16. It's what's known as the Great Commission. It's what Jesus told the disciples to do after he was raised from the dead. I'm going to go back and forth between these two passages of Scripture. So if you can find something to hold your Bible open to these two, make it easier to get back and forth, it might be of help. Let's start in Mark chapter 16. Jesus following his resurrection said to the disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. 
They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they, they the sick shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went everywhere. They went forth and preached everywhere. Excuse me. The Lord working with, notice the word them is in italics. It means the translators added it. God's not working with them per se. He's working with the word. The Lord went, I'm sorry, and they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with and confirming the word with signs following. Now, what is Jesus telling these guys? Or what do they hear Jesus saying when he talks about things being different now? Already they've been born again. Jesus has breathed on them in John chapter 20. Following his resurrection and said, receive you the spirit, the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Some people get hung up on whether or not the Jesus has given the disciples or the apostles the power to forgive sins or not according to their choice. And that's never in man's choice. Man doesn't determine that for somebody else. What it's telling us is they receive the Holy Spirit in connection with the remission of sins. In other words, they were born again. And then Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until they would be endued with power from on high. There was a second experience of empowerment where the Holy Ghost came upon them and they were filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And that's when they started doing the healings and the miracle works. But at this point in time, they've already been saved. They've been made new creatures in Christ. If you remember back to when you were saved, you knew something changed. You may not have known, probably didn't know everything that it entailed. I'm not sure we know everything it entails now. But you knew something had changed on the inside. Well, they were aware of that. Now Jesus is commissioning them. He's authorizing them. He's equipping them. Again, not like it was when he was here on the earth. Now they know something has changed. Now that they know, now they do know that there's a new presence on the inside, the presence of the Spirit of God in salvation. And so Jesus tells them, go everywhere into the world and preach the gospel. Now, is he talking about a new gospel? Has the gospel of the kingdom changed? Folks, I can't get away from this. If there's a new message. Jesus missed the perfect opportunity to tell them, this is it. If the gospel now is just Jesus is raised from the dead and not including that it's the will of God for things to be here in the earth in your life, just like they are in heaven, if that's still not the message, then he missed the perfect opportunity to tell them, go into all the world and preach me crucified and raised from the dead. But he doesn't. I don't believe God takes things so casually that he would assume that we would know something like that without Jesus specifically going on record to telling the disciples this is it. These guys still don't know anything. They have no idea what the new birth means. They have no idea what belongs to them because they are new creatures in Christ Jesus. None of that has been revealed to them. Most of it they learned through what Paul's is uh, has revealed to him by the lord so he's not just going to leave it up to them to preach whatever they think is right is he 
He's going to be giving them some kind of guidelines. But the only thing that it says is go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, why should we assume that it's a different gospel than the gospel he told them that got them results while he was here on the earth? I wouldn't make that assumption. Especially when he said, these signs will follow them that believe in my name. They'll cast out devils. Well, that's the thing he anointed us for before or equipped us for or authorized us for when he was here on the earth. Divine protection, speaking with new tongues, and laying hands on the sick and the sick recovering. Well, those are the same things he was talking about before. Those are the same things we've got experience with. Would they change their message? Expecting different results unless Jesus told them to? I wouldn't. I wouldn't at all. I'd go everywhere preaching God still wants things to be here in the earth just like they are in heaven. And Jesus came and sacrificed himself so that they could be. The kingdom of God has come. Now look to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, it says, Jesus has appeared to the disciples. They've spent some time together. Verse 18, Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power, this word power is literally the word authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, folks, you know as well as I do, Jesus is about to leave and go to heaven. So what good does his authority do him, him personally here on the earth? None whatsoever. He's not here to exercise it. Not only that, but the Bible tells us that the ones that have authority on the earth are those that have flesh and, blo- flesh and blood bodies. Jesus doesn't have that anymore. Jesus tells his disciples following his resurrection, handle me. Remember, remember he told Mary on resurrection Sunday not to touch him because he hadn't yet been to the Father presented himself in the heavenly holy of holies but then he comes back and says to the disciples handle me touch me see i'm not a spirit he said a spirit hath not flesh and bone not flesh and blood he didn't have blood but remember the bible says in the old testament in several places it says the life of the flesh is in the blood jesus is not in a position to exercise his authority his authority as a flesh and blood human being anymore which was the source of his authority when he was here on the earth that's why he kept calling himself and identifying with the, as as the son of man not the son of god so what's the importance or the significance of jesus telling them all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth he's in effect saying i'll take care of things in heaven you take care of things here on the earth That's why the Bible makes such a big deal about us being the body of Christ. The vehicle of authority. We are the body of Christ. We're different. We're members of that body with different purposes and different functions and different gifts. But we're all members of the same body. Left here on the earth to exercise his authority. Otherwise, why'd God leave us here when we got saved? If heaven is the place of escape that so many people are looking to it to be, then why did God leave us here on the earth after you get saved? The simple answer for that is so that we could use his authority while we're here 
to manifest the kingdom of God in our own lives and in the lives of others. To bring to pass the will of God in the earth just like it is in heaven. So what did Jesus say? All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore. Where? We supposed to go to heaven? No, we're supposed to use it here on the earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The phrase teach all nations literally means to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them. Teaching them. Teaching them. To observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Now, this is significant. This last phrase is significant because when the disciples went out when Jesus was here on the earth, he wasn't with them. Now, we don't have any record that he told them or explained to them that the Holy Ghost would go with them and and make good on the things that they used his authority uh, or used his name for, even though that would have to be the case. But we don't have any record that God, that Jesus explained that that's the way that it would work. So now Jesus is saying, wherever you go in my name in the earth, I'm with you. For what purpose? Why is that significant? Why is he telling them that? Because he's the enforcer. He's the enforcer of the use of his name. That's one big difference. Now the use of his name is in much greater authority than it was even while Jesus was here on the earth. The disciples under the new covenant have a much greater, are much greater, much more authorized, much greater equipped, and I believe they have a greater commission to use the name of Jesus because he stands behind what we do. And notice he still didn't tell them you'll feel different. Notice he doesn't tell them that. Doesn't say a word about what they feel or what they're going to feel. Lightning's not jumping from their fingers, fingertips like we wish that it would. But notice again that he said in the last verse that we read, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Look at the the significance of what he tells the disciples to do now this is the foundation of the church folks the foundation of the church everything about the building of the church is going to be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets these guys become apostles when jesus sends them out at this point in matthew 28 they are sent ones the whole church is going to be built on them the whole church is going to be built on what they teach what are they supposed to teach Notice Jesus said, teach them what I've commanded you. What in the world is that? We could pick out a couple of scriptures and say that Jesus taught man to forgive. Well, that'd be good. We could say that Jesus taught man to walk in love. And that'd certainly be good. That's the new commandment. And we could pick out a few things like that. But what are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to go around telling people the parables that Jesus used? What are they supposed to teach? See, as a teacher, this is of greatest importance to me. 
I spend more time talking to God about what do you want me to teach than anything else. I don't just teach what I want to teach. I'm seeking God about what he wants me to teach. Well, how much more should that be the case if the foundation of the whole church was resting on my shoulders? It is on theirs. What has he commanded them? What does he mean, teach them the things that I've commanded you? Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 10. Let's see if we can find an answer. Matthew chapter 10. Now, they're supposed to make disciples. We usually say that the Great Commission is to go get people saved. But that's just the beginning point. He said, make disciples. What's a disciple supposed to look like? Folks, that's the million-dollar question. If we don't know what a disciple is supposed to look like, then how do we know that we're being effective in making disciples? And I would submit to you that a lot of the church thinks that a disciple looks different than a lot of the rest of the church does. Whose pattern do we have to follow in making disciples and identifying what a disciple looks like? There's only one pattern, and that's Jesus. Matthew chapter 10 This is telling us Matthew's account, an eyewitness account of the same thing we read in Luke chapter 9. But notice what it says or how it says it. And when he called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power. This is the word authority against or over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. The next few verses tell us the list of the 12. Verse 5, it says, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them. And commanded them. And commanded them. If we're supposed to teach, or uh, let's don't put it as we, let's put it as they. If they, the 11 that are left after Judas hangs himself, are the ones being spoken to in Matthew 28, and they're commissioned to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And to teach all nations the things that they've been commanded of the Lord to do. Then we should have some evidence of what they were commanded, shouldn't we? Or did the Holy Ghost just make a mistake there? Oops, forgot to tell you what they were commanded to do. Here it is. This is what disciples are supposed to do. And this is what disciples will look like. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. Well, that doesn't apply to us because the Gentiles have been brought open, the doors have been opened to the Gentiles. But the, the significance is follow the leading of the Lord and where to go and what to do. Disciples follow the leading of God. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, Preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's changed because the kingdom of God has come. 
Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says a few verses later in verse 5, he said, except a man be born of water, natural birth, and of the spirit, the new birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the entrance into the kingdom of God is the new birth. Well, anybody can be born again now, can't they? That means the kingdom has come. It's not near anymore, it's here. So he said, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or for us has come. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely you freely give. Now there's other things in there, but it doesn't pertain to the things that we're talking about for healing school. So notice Jesus is saying, teach all nations what I've commanded you. What did you command us, Jesus? I commanded you to preach, saying the kingdom of God has come. For us, it's come. For them, it was close. Which means the will of God is for things to be here on the earth in your life just like they are in heaven. And prove it by healing the sick. And notice he didn't say pray that God would heal the sick. He said demonstrate the kingdom of God, which for them was just close at hand. For us has come, which means there's greater power, greater authorization, and greater commission for us than they had. While Jesus was here on the earth. Now remember the guy in Luke chapter 9. That John talks about. We found a guy that was casting out devils in your name. And I told him quit. He's not part of our group. Everybody's trying to make their own group. See the 12 thought they were special. They thought they were unique. And nobody could encroach upon the power. And the, the results that they got. Because if more people were doing what they were doing, that would water down who they were. And they were all concerned about who's the greatest. But Jesus said, he that's not against us is for us. So in Jesus' day, when he was here on the earth, the implication is that anyone could have used his name because of the proximity of the kingdom of God to get the same results that the disciples got. So can we therefore say that the evidence of the disciple is the results? That would have to be true. Because Jesus told the disciples to go make more disciples. Now were the 12 supposed to get results and nobody else? No, the results were not the results for the apostles. The results of healing the sick, casting out devils, Cleansing the lepers and raising the dead were disciple results. So here's the question. Have you been made a disciple? If so, you've been authorized with greater authority than the 12 had when Jesus was here on the earth. You've been equipped with greater equipment or power, spiritual power, than the 12 had when Jesus was here on the earth. And you've been commissioned with a greater commission than the 12 were or had when Jesus was here on the earth. The thing that keeps going off on the inside of me, and I don't know how I got into this. Well, uh, yeah, I do. 
I cut my teeth with Brother Hagin. And Brother Hagin had a special anointing to heal the sick. Jesus appeared to him. Put the index finger of his right hand in the palm of each one of Brother Hagin's hands. And they began to burn like a coal of fire. Jesus told him, I've given you a special anointing to minister to the sick. Not to pray for the sick, but to minister to the sick. He said, tell them that I appeared to you. Tell them that I anointed you. He said, if they'll believe that I appeared to you and believe that you're anointed, then that healing power will go out of your hands and into their bodies to effect a healing and a cure in them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. So to be perfectly honest with you, the only thing that I knew about the power of God was through somebody that had a special anointing. Well, I knew I didn't have one. Jesus didn't appear to me and put the finger of his right hand in the palm of each one of my hands. I didn't then and don't now have a special anointing to heal the sick in that respect. Doesn't really matter to me if I ever have one. The will of the Lord be done. But I do have a disciple's authorization. I do have the disciple's equipment. And I do have the disciples' commission. In addition, I'm called to pastor the church. And James 5 says that every church should be a healing center. But the pastoral staff, not just me as the lead pastor, but the pastoral staff should have, as a part of their authorization, does have as a part of their authorization, equipment and commission, a command to heal the sick. Well, if that's not an anointing, I don't know what is. So I started seeing things in a new light. Where before I was looking for, and there were times in years past where I really sought God about having the special anointing. And I tried to talk God into it, saying, Lord, you know, I grew up on Brother Hagin, walked with him. Elisha walked with Elijah, and he got the same thing that Elijah had. Give me the same thing Brother Hagin had. And so far, no go. But here's what I do have. I've got a command from the Lord just like you do. To preach the gospel that because Jesus went to the cross and died and was raised from the dead, the kingdom of God has come. And it is the will of God to, for things to be in your life here on the earth just like they are in heaven. And I've been commissioned just like you have to back that up by healing the sick and to cast out devils. Folks, if we come to the place where we really believe that, this small group right here could turn the world upside down. It has to be true. You can't find anywhere in Jesus' ministry, you can't find anywhere in the disciples' ministry where they were commissioned to pray for the sick. Some people will say, yeah, but, Acts, uh, but uh, James 5.15 says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. That word prayer does not mean ask God for something. It says the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. That word prayer is a vow or declaration of faith. If I make a vow to serve God, I'm not asking him to do anything. I'm committing myself to him no matter what comes. 
no matter what happens. That's what the declaration of faith, what the James 5.15 calls the prayer of faith that saves the sick or heals the sick is. It's a vow that Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I'm healed. And that's the way it's going to be for me, no matter what. That's the position of faith that heals the sick. You can't find Jesus praying for the sick anywhere. Where did we come up with the idea that we're supposed to pray for the sick? We're not. We're supposed to heal the sick. We're authorized to heal the sick, not pray for them. To pray for them implies that we don't have the power. We're not authorized. We're not equipped. But to heal the sick accepts that we have what Jesus said we have. And we simply use it. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, if I could just feel the power that I'd use it. Well, we've already seen from the scripture that in all probability, the disciples who healed everywhere didn't feel a thing. It's not what you feel. It's what you know God has commissioned you to do. We've got a better covenant established upon better promises, which means we should get better results than they got. And all it takes is boldness to step out and do it. Jesus already said, I'm low, low, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the world. There's nowhere you can go on earth that this won't work. No matter where you go, you're authorized, equipped, and commissioned. Thank God for his healing power. Well, let's pray. Oh, Father, what a privilege it is to find the truth of your word. We declare that we are disciples. We recognize that you've authorized us to heal the sick. You've authorized us to cast out devils. You've equipped us to do so. And you've commissioned us. Just like the apostles. We commit unto you, Lord, that we'll do the work of disciples, those that believe in your name. We'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We therefore declare, Father, that everybody that we lay hands on is healed. We declare, Father, that everybody that comes in contact with us receives the healing power of God. Thank you, Father, that we have the power to heal the sick. We don't have to pray for them. We don't have to look to you to do something. We've been authorized by Jesus himself to heal the sick because the kingdom of God has come. Because it's your will for mankind to be well here on the earth just like we will be when we get to heaven. And Jesus left us here on the earth to use his authority as a part of his body to see it come to pass. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. How many of you are disciples? 
Well, we ought to have the results of disciples then, shouldn't we? How are you going to find out whether or not those results work? Go find somebody to lay hands on. Go find somebody to heal. Jesus said he'd go with you to make it good. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a lot of stuff. And it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Everybody I lay hands on as the pastor of this church is healed. So don't come to me to be healed unless you really want it. Because that's the way it is according to what the Bible says. Amen? Amen. Well, let's all stand together. Let's lift our hands and thank God for his goodness. Thank him because we're authorized as disciples to heal the sick, equipped with divine power. Not power you can feel, just power that's real and commissioned to do the same works and even greater works than Jesus did himself when he was here. Thank you, Lord, for turning our city upside down as we heal the sick. In Jesus' name. If you can agree with that, say amen. 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 Well, thank you for being with us. We love you. You're dismissed.